0: Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting SPARKSWillFly as one word, APP to 77977. That's SPARKS Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going right in the same vein where we've been. Just just um last week I entered, I introduced um a um, I brought a book, but I actually shared from the Lion and the Lamb um chapter three of that book. I think I read most uh, some of the chapter with you guys last week on uh Brendan Manning's book The Line and the Lamb where he actually quotes um, Wes Zaliger and so today I just want to deal with um, in this book is called The uh, Western Theology and it is a satire of the institutional church which was written in 1973 and it's is powerful prophetic insight and um, so this morning I just want to take us deeper into this and really what I feel like the Lord is speaking to me and and, and just go into that. So this morning, I want to just use um, Hebrews chapter twelve, and I want to read you what Wes saw in 1973 in this book Western Theology. I got to set the set it up so that we're all on the same page. He's he's writing in the theme of a Western style theme, so it's his his setting is the Wild West, and he. He gives uh, two views of life, if you will, which develops uh, two different theologies. One he uses as a settler theology, the other he uses as pioneer theology. And the settler theology, they view God a certain way, they view the church a certain way, they view the Holy Spirit a certain way, they view the Christian life a certain way, and the pioneers view God, the church, Christians. Um, Jesus all in a different type of view. Now I would say this, he, what he's saying is is in his, in his view that the church had an issue with both. And In his writing, the way he wrote in 1973, that he felt like the church had to embrace, if it was ever going to come out of the ruts, if it was ever going to change, if we were ever going to hear this word renewal, and if it was ever going to take an effect that the church had to move with a pioneering spirit, okay? And so this morning, I want to read you that. I want to read you what he wrote concerning the church of a settler mindset or a settler view of theology, and then one that he wrote about versus a pioneer. So let's look at the scriptures first of Hebrews chapter 12, where I want to take my text this morning, and I got a lot of ground to cover, so I'll I'll see how far we can go. But Father, we just thank you for this day. Can we just pray right here for a moment? Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that this is the day that you have made. Father, we thank you for those that are tuning in on the live stream. And Father, we thank you for those that are here in person. Father, I pray that you would open up our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Father, I don't know what the Spirit is saying to damon thompson this morning i don't know what the spirit is saying to bill johnson i don't know what it's saying to the prophet down the road but i know what the spirit of the lord is saying to me this morning and to this house and to this region the place that you have set me up as a voice father i know what you're saying to me and i pray father this morning that you would help me bring clear language to that father and i pray that you would open up our ears to hear and to see god give us vision of a greater day in jesus mighty name amen you feel good all right, Hallelujah! It says I'm reading out of the Passion Translation of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. It says, "For our, for as for us, this is a he goes right in from uh, the the Hall of Faith here in chapter 11. Um, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So me, so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then then we will be able to run life's marathon, race with a passion and determination. For the path has been already marked out before us. I love his language, how he uses this. Notice he didn't say the Christian life is let us run the sprint. Let us run this quick distance, this 40-yard dash. But he says it's a marathon. You got to have some endurance to run this thing. Come on, somebody. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. God's looking for some finishers. Those that hold to the end, they shall be what? Saved. Not those that start. I've seen a bunch of people come out the gate. Come on now. God. We look away from the natural realm and we fashion our gaze onto who? Jesus, who birthed faith within us, who leads us where? Backwards. If we could just get back, where is he leading you? God's not trying to bring you back anywhere. Where is he trying to lead us, church? Forward. Look at this. Who leads us forward into face what? Perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross, conquered its humiliation. Humiliation. And now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. It says, the NIV says, we look toward the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Come on somebody. So I want to talk about the pioneer Jesus, the pioneer you, and I'm going to try to bring language that I feel like the Lord is saying. So this morning I want to deal with the church. Our, our, our view of the church, okay? Now, let's, I'm reading um, um, Wes's book here, Western Theology. And I'm, I'm going to read to you what he wrote about the church. Here's the church in settler theology. The church is the courthouse. The old frame structure stands in the middle of the town square. It is topped by a weather vane that squeaks as it points the direction of the wind. The hands on the court on the courthouse clock are frozen in place by years of neglect and rust. Worm-eaten planks confirm the feeling that the time has stopped. Small windows with heavy shutters wall out the sunshine. This makes the edifice easy to defend, but quite dark on the inside. The solid oak doors are kept locked except during business hours. Only pigeons lining the roof offer any sign of life, but they, of course, are most unwelcome. Each year, the courthouse gets a fresh coat of whitewash. This is done just before the mayor's annual courthouse meeting. The black doormat bears the command, wipe your feet before entering. Branching out from the long, cold, creaky corridor on the first floor of the offices, the first office is that of the tax assessor collector. Over, over his huge steel safe is a sign lettered in gold, Give a tithe and your business will thrive. Down the hall is a heavy door which is kept locked. This is the door to the archives room which contains relics of the pioneer days and houses a strong concrete vault. The almanac is kept in it. The book tales of the pioneer days before the folks settled down. It is filled with wild tales of adventure, excitement, challenge. The town fathers are cautious with the almanac. Such tales could be upset. The harmony of the town would be perhaps raised questions about the courthouse. Hence, the door is locked. Notice he's talking about here. He uses this language. Um, That Down the hall is a heavy door which is kept locked. This is the door to the archives room which contains relic of pioneer days and houses a strong concrete vault. He's talking about the church that is relishing the past, that talks about the past moves of God. How many knows that Jesus preached the good news, which is what the gospel is called? How many knows for something to be news, it must be current? Come on, church. There should not be anything in your Christian life that you have to point back to a decade of what God's doing in your life. God wants to do something fresh in our day, right here today. God wants to do something new in you every day. The Bible says His mercies are new every day. Every day is an adventure. You with me? So he's talking about this is in settler theology, the church, the church, the church has settled down, this is, it, it, which is really what, what comes through that teaching is stewardship. Stewardship is not hanging on to what you have. Stewardship is growing what you've been given. If you hang on to what you have, you have not stewarded. You babysat it. But to steward it means you have grown what you have been given. Come on, y'all. All right. So the, the almanac he is referring to is the Bible. It is the almanac, has got tales in it about what things happen, but it's, it's kept locked down. Hence, the door is locked. The large room at the end of the corridor is the meeting place of the county commissioners, the town's most prominent citizens, known as the mayor's boys. These are your deacons. They are the pillars of the courthouse. These solid citizens argue far into the night about how the courthouse should be ran. But their arguments change nothing. The settler city charter assures that. No changes may be made without a unanimous vote ten years in a row. And then the mayor can bust it with a veto. A wrought iron staircase leads to the second floor. Here are the courtroom and the mayor's office. Lining the lawn of the fortress like courthouse are the markers honoring prominent citizens, especially past bank presidents in the middle of the lawn, surrounded by keep-off-the-grass signs in a granite statue of the mayor inscribed the Honorable Alpha Omega supreme being of settler city, BC Zero. The courthouse is the settler symbol of law, order, tradition, stability, and most important, security. Now, I'm going to give you the pioneer's view of theology. Are you okay? In pioneer theology, the church is a wagon train. It is always on the move over mountains and through dark valleys. In fair weather and storm, no place is its home. Now the church is, he's got a vision of being on the move. In in his illustrations here, he's got an old wagon train and it's covered with a canvas and on the side it says, renewal or bust. These are the people that were awaking in the middle 70s saying, my God, we've got to gain ground for the Lord. Come on, somebody. At the time of William Brown, I mean, I'll call him William Branham, at the time of Brendan Manning's writing, The Lion and the Lamb, that the church in his writing that book, that at that time only 17% of the earth's population was Christian. How can something be 2,000 years old and has not infiltrated society no more than only 17%? You with me? So in this, the only way it was going to get this to happen is we had people like Lauren Cunningham and all these ones having dreams in the 70s of the Seven Mountain Mandate. Instead of trying to get people to come to the church, there was a vision to train and equip the church, if you will, to infiltrate to infiltrate society with the kingdom message. Realizing that the one that is privileged to hold the mic is there to equip and train ministers of the gospel. That we are all in full-time ministry in this room. Come on, somebody. Y'all right? It's gonna be one of those days. It's one of those days. Come on now. So the wagon train is not comfortable or safe. The wagons are bandaged with belling wire, pitted by arrows, patched and worn, yet they creak along. The church, the train does not hesitate to move into new hostile territory. The pioneers gladly trade safety for obedience to the insistent voice of the trail boss. The wagon train is a sight to behold. Every type of wagon can be found in the endless line. The pioneers welcome diversity. Who can argue style and brand names when there is a new world to explore? Each pioneer knows his well-being depends on on the good of all. Life can be hectic. There are rivers to ford, wagons to pull out of the mud, the boredom of the plain, the excitement of danger. But through it all the pioneers are driven by the vision of what is yet to be and by obedience to the task of the day. The pioneers eat, sleep, love, fight, and die on the wagons. The wagon train is not where one goes, it is where one lives. Look at the difference in the theology that the settler, the settler believes he goes the church come on somebody but the pioneer believes he is is the church one it is like this i remember chris valentin praying one morning morning he said before they were opening up a service and he was praying that scripture out of john chapter 5 the pool of the bethesda remember that and he was praying god let it be a pool of bethesda in this room the spirit of the lord spoke back to him and said i'm not looking for the pool i'm looking for the river And there's a shift in the change in the mindset in the church where we get people to the pool of Bethesda here. That's settler theology. If we can just get you to church, you know that devil can come out of you. If we can just get you to church, you can get healed. If we can just get you to church, your marriage can be made whole. But in the pioneer theology, they believe that they don't go to church. They are the church. Come on, somebody. And Ezekiel talked about a river, a river that would go out of the threshold of the temple. Come on, somebody, to north gate of the temple and wherever this river goes, there would be life you don't have to bring them to the pastor to get them healed you realize that come on somebody that these signs shall follow them that believe are you a believer in this room so if you're a believer in this room you have authority from heaven hello you don't have to go call Um. man I was <laughs> you don't have to call someone to cast out devils you cast the devil out of them <laughs> you with me Who enjoys casting out demons? No, that is not one of my things I enjoy, but it has to happen sometimes. I've seen a few come out. The pioneers eat, sleep, love, fight, and die on the wagon train. The wagon train is not where one goes. It is where one lives. This is happening finally by the grace of God The day that the church is waking up. That church is not something we do and it's not something we go to, but it is who we are. There's no difference between my church life, the kingdom life, and my life. Jesus wore a seamless robe. In other words, there's nothing, there's no difference in his makeup. Are you with me now? All right. All right. Although they cherish land already explored, the pioneer never glorifies the wagon ruts. They love the past because it has brought them to the present but they realized to live in the past is to give up pioneering. That's good language right there. So, the pioneer view of the church is the wagon train. And here's one of the things that pioneers, this is, this is, this is just what I wrote down. Pioneers stake their lives on the promises of God. If I could encourage anybody in this room, you've got to get a promise for your life. Come on, somebody help me here. You're going to have to help me, okay? It's just one of these days. You know what I'm saying? But pioneers stake their lives. What keeps them moving? is the promise they have over their life. It's the voice that they've heard in the secret place. It's what they see with their eyes, but yet they hear another voice in the secret place telling them it's something different on the end. Are you with me now? This is what keeps them moving. This is a group of people that have staked their lives on dreams and on visions and on words from God. Man, people say, well, you you can't live. I had a guy tell me one time, John, you can't live your life chasing smoke. Let me say this. If there are not people that are willing to live their lives with pioneers The church will never encounter new ground. We will camp out for generation after generation on what someone else cut and blazed a trail years ago. And there are denominations that are still doing that today, talking about Dwight D.L. Moody. He was a great man and a powerful man of God. But come on, somebody. This is the time that you and I are living in. Habakkuk praised this prayer. He said, God, revive the works in the years that I live in. I appreciate what I read about William Branagh. I appreciate the things that I've read in God's generals. But that only fuels my fire to say, God, ignite something in my lifetime that looks like this. So this is where I want to go this morning and the main thing that I want to spend our time with. So if God is raising up pioneers, what are pioneers pioneering? What are they pioneering? What is the thing that God is doing in 2020? And for me to answer this question, I didn't get this out of any book, what I'm fixing to answer, except I am going to read you some things because you know I'm a book guy. But I remember in my early 20s, when I was, um, I think I was 20 years old, I was serving as a youth pastor. And I had this church to call me that was in our denominational system. And they believed that God had called me as their pastor. And they, I'd had the opportunity to pastor this church. And I prayed about it and the counsel I got in my life I all agreed that God is no worse sending you to that church than whatever. And so I, I kind of let, let that go and I have this dream. And in this dream I go inside this church. It was a church that wanted to call me to pastor. And I remember going into this church, and when I got to the pastor's office, the office had cobwebs in it. It was full of cobwebs. All the books were dusty. Everything looked really, really old. And then there was a door that led outside of the church, and you didn't have to go through the congregation or through the sanctuary. You could just walk straight outside. That door was walled shut, and it had spray foam insulation, and it had been sealed. And I felt like, I remember calling Pastor Dale and telling him that dream and felt like what the Lord was, was saying in that, that I believe that, and what he said is, there's been no pastor in that office for a long time. And every decision that has to be made has to go through that congregation because the door to the city has been shut off. And God's just trying to bring about a revolution in, in, into this realm, and I believe God's still working on that. And so what, what, are, what are the pioneers pioneering right now? And so when I had to boil my life down, I actually took my journal out the other day and I just looked back, what have I written down? What have I pinned down over the past? One of the things that I found that I, I had written in November the 15th, 2019, I said this after a series of dreams. I said, there is no doubt the transition is upon us. I said, I do not know what this transition will look like, but I said, I do know this, that one year from this date, in November of 2020, things will look totally different than they look today, and what I thought they would look like. How many knows we are approaching that? So transition is is a, is a weird place, and, and it's a hard place. But but we must transition into some things. Just I'm just trying to lay some groundwork. In December, we purchased Grant a truck, and and he, we got some speakers put in his truck, and I thought they were cool. And I was listening to him, and he had some country on, and I said I said um. You don't, you, don't li- you don't like listening to praise and worship? <laughs> well, nobody wants to have two brand-new Robert Fosgates in your truck. You know, listen. You know what I'm saying? I exalt thee. You know what I'm saying? So he had some country on, and there was a song on there that I heard. And I said, man, I kind of like that song because I hadn't listened to any of that in a long time. And so I began to play this song, and then it led me into an encounter with the Lord where I wept for three days. And I've shared this with you. But the song was, it was called Small Town by Jason Aldean. I actually started to tell Grant to get his guitar and put it down because Jake Edwards actually played this song for me on his guitar uh, sitting in my room one night, and he played this song, Small Town. And in the song, it talks about a love for a small town. And it talks about, we're proud of that name upon that water tower. And we're proud of that dirt that's on the bottom of our boots. And we're just burning up that Texaco black diesel. And we find us a woman in that small town. And we begin to do life. And I was like, God, why is this song affecting me like it is? And even now, I've got tears that come to my eyes. And it breaks me up to think about that small town. Because, see, in the heart of the pioneer is big vision pioneers are filled with vision, man. But one of the things that the Bible is full about vision and it says write the vision down because the vision will tarry. There's no vision that ever comes to pass overnight. It takes years to build in. Paul spent 14 years in the desert learning who Jesus was after that one encounter before he ever appeared before people. And Jesus spends 30 years preparing for three and a half years of ministry. You with me now? And so I'm like, God, why is this Why is this song affecting me? I mean, first of all, it's just a country song and there's a lot of things in it that I even disagree theologically, but I can't do nothing but cry over the song. Especially the line where it says we're just all, we're all just blue collar people, hardworking people. Well, what do you find in the South? Just hardworking people. And here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with just being a hard-working person and enjoying the life you have. Just trying to lay it out right here. So this, this song affects me. And then, so I'm down at the cabin one day, and I'm praying, I'm seeing the Lord, and the presence of the Lord's in there, and I'm just enjoying His presence, and I feel like He's enjoying me. And He speaks this one thing to me. He says, "Will you give up your dream of being big? I almost chuckled in His presence. I said, God, I gave up that a long time ago. And he asked me again, will you give up your dream of being big? What does big look like? Well, to me, I don't really, I can't even answer the question. I just know it looked bigger than what I had. You with me? And so this led me on down the journey. So now I'm playing the song again. And I'm listening to the song Small Town and all of these things are just recurring through my through my deal. And so I believe in the spirit behind this book that was in the 70s. But I don't believe we can take a, a book that was written in the 70s. In 1973, I believe the Spirit of God is speaking some things different in 2020 than what he was doing in 1973. I believe the heart of the pioneer in these days, if you it doesn't take long to be in the church, the church goes through all kinds of pendulum swings. And let me just tell you there, are truths that are there there are truths that are introduced in new seasons of the church and there are there are some truths but there are greater truths than other truths we know this faith hope and love remain but the greatest of these is love love trumps faith hope and so the bible says that in in the book of peter to be established in the present truth so what is he saying now what is God saying now? So does the wagon train need to continue to move? Does, do I need to get my life on the wagon train and say, hey, we got to keep moving. We got to keep looking. We got to keep going into the frontier. Or do we get to a place where it's okay to to establish a homestead and say, from here, we're going to do life. Just trying to figure it out. So then I get a book always got a book. I picked this book up, which is a fictional book, and it's his last work called The Prodigal by Brenning Manning. It is a story of a, of a preacher named Jack. Jack is your current 2020 guy. He's a skinny jeans, ripped holes, not knocking any of that. That's just not me. If you saw, Just like if you saw Stanton in a pair of boots, it just wouldn't be him. Okay, I'm just I'm just trying to give you the book the way it was written. And I start diving into this book, and he's got the huge social media following. He's got the cameras on him, man. He is. This is Jack. He's got his quote posted all over everything. Everybody's got Jack's quotes. He's in the big city. He's got five campus churches. He's shaking the world for Jesus. Well, Jack's in Mexico, and he's he's stuck overnight. And he's got his assistant, even though he was warned when he hired the assistant. Jack, I don't think you need, I don't think you need a 24-year-old fresh college graduate foxy lady as your assistant. I just don't think that's wise, but you do what you feel like God is saying. For surely God's saying this. He loves Jack. Well, Jack stumbles and falls in the book. And in the day that you and I live in, it's not no longer that it gets out through the newspaper instantly. Instantly, his failure is posted all over because someone had a phone and would run a Snapchat and there was Jack with that lady in the bar that night intoxicated. Man. There's one thing about the enemy that I've learned about him. He's a stalker. He don't mind losing a battle as long as he can win the war. So there it was in Jack. So Jack is now on a recovery process. Church finds out, you got to go, Jack. You know what I'm saying? It ain't like working down at the meal. At the meal, you can run around on your wife and you can have a job, but it don't work like that in the church world. You got to go, Jack. So Jack goes. Jack is found in Mexico. He goes back to Mexico where he falls and he's intoxicated. He's laid there drunk for several days, but when the church told him to go, they forgot to get the credit card from him, so he still had the American Express in his pocket. <laughs> so when the, when, the, when the CFO finally realized, hey, Jack's bl- blowing it up in Mexico, and we got the American Express racking up, and he said, cut it off. When he cut off, then the door knocked. Hey, you gotta get out of here. Well, Jack had had this estranged relationship with his father. They didn't speak much. But now his father leaves Texas to go to Mexico to get his son. I don't have time to go through the whole book, but here's, here's the deal. And I'm ruining the book for you. But I couldn't put this book down. And I, I don't know what it's like on the hardcover, but Terry, did you buy the hardcover of that book? How thick Is it a pretty good thick book? I read that book in a day and a half. I did not put it down. And I just wept through that book because at the end of the deal is there was a young protege that was following Jack and he got the ministry. But it didn't take him but about three months to run the ministry into the dirt. And so now they wanted Jack back. They needed his charisma back in there. They needed his knowledge, his business sense. They needed all of that back. But at this time, Jack is living with his father. And Jack finally got, he finally got restored, and there was a little small church that asked him to come speak. Man, are you telling me that you want me to come speak at this little Lutheran church when I've touched the earth? And what he found, that then he, he, he donated his time to help put a roof on of one of the church members. And he had never did anything like that. He knew what it was like to send a team, but he had never done it himself. And so now he was doing it, and at the end of the story is this. Jack has a decision to make. Is he going to choose his old life, or is he going to stay in this small town? Jack chooses the small town. This book is affecting me deeply, and I'm thinking, God, what are are you doing? Are you speaking to me to go pastor a Lutheran church? I don't even know what the Lutherans believe. Y'all right in here? I just take it that you're listening so this is going over and over in my heart sometimes I believe the things that we have in our heart it takes a long time to develop I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16 I want to lay a few things out to you that I believe the Lord is speaking to me and where I'm at in my life Mark Perry wrote a book called Kingdom Churches. I had this book in my hand with the greatest vision I've ever received from the Lord. It was in 2013. It was in the journey where Catherine and I were preparing to come to this church. And I had this book in my hand. That's when I had a, I had a dream or vision I believe it's the greatest the Lord has ever given me. I still don't have it all figured out, but I knew that the Lord had spoke to me and I woke Catherine up at 11 30 and I said I don't know I know God just spoke to us but I don't know what he said and I begin to call everybody and say hey you think, what what is the Lord saying to me and in his book he writes a chapter called kingdom builders I believe everything in that chapter that he wrote and I believe it is a time for now listen to me he addresses two issues in this book of Kingdom Builders. He talks about the blessing ministry, and he talks about the building ministry. Jesus established both of them. Let me say this. The late John Wimber wrote, a, wrote this, and this is what he said. He said, people talk about my ministry as, is, as, is, as it is a business. There's no such thing as my ministry. There's only one ministry found in the New Testament, and that is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he invites you and I in onto that journey of his ministry. You with me now? And so, in in his in his work, he's establishing a blessing ministry, or we will say itinerant ministry, and he is attaching a building ministry. I believe what God has called me as a builder. I have so many prophetic words over my life as being a builder, but I really haven't. It's taken me until I'm 41 years old to realize exactly what am I supposed to be building. So here it is. Look at this. In Matthew 16, verse 18, this is the only thing that Jesus ever promised he would build. He never said he would build my talent. He never said he would build my Instagram account. He never said he would build my, my uh, accolades. The only thing he ever said is, I will build my church. And notice how he puts the degree on it. It's my church. It's not John's church. It's not Stan's church. It's not an elder's church. It is his church. Come on, y'all. He says, I will build my church, and then he gives us this, This he ends it with this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he gives the leader hope that in everything we endure leading his church, that it will never overcome us, and he will always be there to overcome every obstacle that the church faces. That's good news, y'all. Now he gives two types of, he gives two types of pioneers. I'm still talking about the pioneer. But, but where I have to come off of Wes's theology is I don't believe that everybody is called the wide, to ride the wagon train constantly moving. Some people's got to stop along the way. Some people has to establish culture in regions. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 4. So what is Jesus building? The church? (laughs) Let's just start right here in verse 16. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been raised, he went into the synagogue. Let let me stop right here and say this. I got to say this. When I, was, when I was pastoring, where I came from, I was an employee of the phone company. And God gave me, they, they, put these, they put these things on our company trucks where they could track us at all times. And we really hated that. Because in deer season, we would slip, you know, and feed corn to the deer. But now, and we started, all, all of us, it was a saying of all the employees, we had that song. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Because they were. And then if you were at a location too long, they red flagged you. Hey, what was you doing in such and such? You know what I'm saying? What was you doing way out here in the woods? for? Well, I had to go feed the deer. I mean, I want to hunt Saturday. But God had given me such favor with one of the girls that was over that, and she was a spirit-filled believer. I remember three times that I had to call the office Because I was so overcome by the Spirit of the Lord. And it was for one reason, to weep over that city. And I said, I'm totally overtaken by the Lord. And I said, I cannot even drive this vehicle. Just weeping over the city. And then when, so you got to understand when when all of my vision at that point is I was living and dying there. And so when God began to visit me in 2013 and says, I want you to leave this place, I, I there was a lot of things I didn't understand. I ain't got to, it take me two hours to take you through all of that. And so fast forward here when we got here, when when it was fine until I had to live here. But I remember going up by the right up here, like where you go by the schools, and I remember crying. And I told the Lord, I said, God, I can't live here. I can't, I can't live in this city. Like, live, live here. Every year, for every uh, every night for one year, Grant would scream and cry. And he and he, then finally he told me, he said, Dad, he said, if you will just let me live with granddaddy and let me go home, he said, I will never ask for another Christmas gift in my life. Just let me get out of here. And so I believe that the Lord said, you know, we, I was listening this other week when the, the night I was put in this church, so I believe God said to go. And God, God, God never said, would you go to Cornerstone? He said, would you go on a journey? And so it's taken me a little bit of time to really, what was God really trying to say? I want you to be proud of that name upon that water tower. What God is saying to me, this is it. There's no, there's no frontier left for you. There, there's time to get off the horse and get your feet locked down. This is it. Climb out of the saddle. Put the six shooters down. There's nothing else to be shot and begin to raise up some culture in that place. That's what the Lord is saying. So, does it take some cutting? Yes. We all want accolades. We all want to hear people speak well of us. But the Bible says beware when all men speak well of you. You need a few people that don't like you. You need a few haters in the camp. The haters keep you honest, the haters keep you going back in the prayer room. Is it true? And it's easy to get in self-denial and not aware of your own self. Let me tell you about a man named Max. Max was a successful businessman who had an alcohol problem. When confronted by a group of peers or a group of people that he entrusted himself and submitted his life to, they took a retreat to Colorado. And they're fixing to dive into the Max's real issues. What, what's the problem here? And so when the leader stands up in the room and he says, Max, do you have an alcohol problem? He says, no, I don't have an alcohol problem. He said, I like to occasionally drink. He said, I have about 10 drinks per day. So the guy leading the room says, you're a liar. You're a liar. And he says, get up out of here. We said, man, that's not the love of God. So he says, let's call a phone call. Let's, let, let me do a phone call to some people who live with you. Well, let's call here. Here's your guy that operates your business for you. He said, oh, Max is a great guy. But he said, Max drops $200 a day on drinks. That's the reality of where he lives. So he got a little further, Max gets mad. Now he's mad and he's ready to throw hands. He's ready to fight because... It's hard for him to hear. That's the real condition of his life. Let's make one more phone call, Max. Let's see where you're really living. So he called his wife. How's Max? as a father. He's a great father. Although there's one instance in his life that he's not proud of. But he tells the group before he calls his wife, he says, I can't remember what that is. And it has to do with his daughter. And he can't remember what that is. Remember, Max thinks he's just an occasional drinker. He don't have a real issue. So they called the wife. and said, what happened? What happened with his relationship with his daughter, Julie? What happened? The well, reality is, is this. Max told the story that he did something to offend Julie one time, and he's never gotten over it, and she hasn't gotten over it. But the reality is this, that Max was leaving work one day, and it was cold. It was 14 degrees outside. And Max stopped at the bar to have one drink, and it was 4 in the afternoon. And the vehicle was left running and the vehicle run clean out of, out of gas and Max come in the car at 12.30 that night and his young daughter Julie had been frostbitten so bad she lost three of her fingers. That is a man living in denial of where he's really at. Would you not agree with me on that? So we all want, we all want, we all want the accolades. Let's, let me go back. I got to get into this or I'm never going to finish him. So there comes a time where you got to get off the horse. you gotta, you, you, you got to get off the horse. Catherine and I were riding the other night, and I looked at her, and I said, I'm telling you, love, this is it. Look at it, how grand it is, but this is it. She said, what are you talking about? I said, go back to the language. I said, old Red said, this is it. So the Pioneer's getting off the horse. So what we have in this season is this in the previous seasons let me try to create the best language i can i believe a lot was emphasized on we've got to go get on the horse and ride get the shoot get the get the pistol strapped up go kill them let's ride but what god is saying now is get off the horses i preach right here I believe what God is saying: Get off the horses. What you saw with COVID nineteen is a death blow to the mega church. In the mega church, here's what's: Well, it's just me and Jesus. It's my personal savior. That is nowhere to be found in the Bible. No theology can support Jesus Christ being your personal savior. You were saved into something called the family of God. And what the mega church does is it relieves your position of your place in the body of Christ and what you are valuable to that body. I'm not beating a mega church because there's 50 people in this room. I had a desire to be a mega pastor. But here's the deal. If you take the look over my life, I've never had mega anything. When you get in there, you get lost in the shuffle, and you don't have to become a body. Then it's just you and Jesus. Take the people with that model, give it 25 years, and look at their life, and they will be no further along than the day they started. And what this has done is cheapen, it has cheapened the life of the Christian to be able to jump on a podcast and receive from somebody's life that they have pioneered and welled out and you don't owe no responsibility to it. Jesus said where much is given, much is required. If you want to go further with me, you're going to start eating my body and drinking my blood. And many left him at that point, but Jesus didn't give no church seminar how to gather them back. He looked at Peter and said, do you want to go also? He said, Lord, where shall we go? Thou has the words of eternal life. Now look at this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. To hope for the poor, to be hope for the poor, freedom to the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, and to preach to prisoners, you are set free, I've come to share the message of Jubilee, for the time of God's acceptance has begun. Mark Perry says, this is the announcement of Jesus' Jesus's itinerant blessing ministry. I'm not saying people, are, don't, I'm just trying to preach where we're at, where I'm at, okay? Nobody else in the room, where I'm at. There are people that are called to be itinerant. But the reality of the itinerant travel ministry is this. It lacks ownership and it will not have legacy at the end. You with me? All right. So he's saying this. Listen, what he's saying is I'm not limited here to a physical geographical location. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm, the spirit of God's on me. I'm going to be activated. And this is what's fixing to happen. Now look at Acts 10:38. how Jesus went about doing, how he went about doing good, healing all that was sick and oppressed of the devil. Here it is, how he went about. As you go, what is the emphasis on going? Get there and you can get there. And, and this will happen. All right. Luke chapter 4, verse, 40, verse 42. God, I can't hardly even speak. I'm a guy that doesn't listen to a lot of podcasts. I just don't. I like to read. I, I really haven't listened to very many podcasts this year. But one of the things, one of the last ones that I listened to, I think was by, by Damon. And I heard him talk at the Wilderness Society. He's talking about, you know, one of the things we got to do is get the numbers, deal off the church, whatever. You know, as a senior leader, as a pastor, whatever you want to call it, whatever title you got, I'm thinking, how do you even get there? How, how do you get to that? But I'll tell you the greatest thing that COVID did to me is I'm not concerned whether there's 20 people in this room or 50 people. And what I've come to realize is it doesn't determine what God is saying. And so what I found is the most pressure that I could I could ever be off of me. I don't have the pressure. I don't feel like we got to perform for nothing. I don't feel like I got to perform for that camera. I don't have to perform for anybody in this room. Either God's here or he's not. And, and, and we can't hit it out of the park. I, can't, I wish lightning bolts were falling every Sunday. But they don't do that. Not in camp life, they don't. Oh, look at this. So here's the deal. Here's Jesus. He, he's doing both. So if we look at the ministry of Jesus and what Mark Perry is, is what, his, what his argument is in his book, Kingdom Churches, is this, that Jesus ordained both ministry on the earth. He ordained the, he ordained the itinerant. He ordained the pioneer to go, but he also ordained the builder. Right, so let's look at this. Luke chapter 2, verse 42 says, At daybreak the next morning, the crowds came and searched everywhere for him. But Jesus had already left to go to a secluded place. When they finally found him, they held him tightly, begging him to stay with them in Capernaum. But Jesus said, Don't you know there are other places I must go to offer them the hope found in God's kingdom realm? This is what I have sent this is what I've been sent to do. So what did they do? They come to him and say, hey, Lord, we've had some breakthrough tonight. I mean, my God, this is a powerful service. We need you to encamp right here. I want you just right here. Can you just stay here? What did he say? No, I'm not staying here. You see the horse out there? Oh, I mean, he he's he saddled up. I'm leaving with the six shooters on and I'm going to another city and the same thing that happened here is going to happen there. Except when I go to Nazareth because there's not going to be no honor in Nazareth so I ain't going to be able to do nothing in there. You with me now? So he says, I got to go. He's established this. But now let's look at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Verse 13. Afterwards, Jesus went up on a... I'm in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain side and called to himself the men he wanted to be his close companions. Now, he's shifting this thing. Now, it's just not about what's on my life. You with me? It's not about me blowing up and burning the trail. Now, I realize God has deposited something on my life. What am I going to do with what's on my life? Look at the other side of his coin here. This is the call that this this is where I'm at right here. He calls them up, the men, close companions, so they went up the mountainside what? To join him. He appointed the twelve whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be where? Continually. Where? Continually at his side as his friends so that he could send them out to preach and have authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. If you would have asked me when I was 30 years old who Matt was with me then, what does revival look like? I would tell you this. Revival is when you'll church gets noticed revival is when your name is called and you called to preach but if you ask me today what revival is revival is it when the people of god awaken to what god has for their life It is not about the building. It has never been about the building. Oh, how we have got it wrong. It has never been about the building, and it has never been about notoriety. It is about the people going deep in the things of God. That's what revival looks like. When the people say, hey, I'm tired of the ankle deep. I want to get out into some deeper water. This is what it looks like. Revival can be with five people or it can be with 5,000 people. John 17. So, what I'm looking for a group of guys that I could bring by my side. This is what he's saying. I'm going to do life with these men. Three and a half years, Jesus put his life inside of these men. What What is he thinking? Listen, I'm thinking legacy. How does a dead man speak? He speaks through the life of his children. John 17, 4. I love this verse of scripture. That I'm fixing to read because it gives us at the end of the journey what does He really think about these men? What even knowing Judas's heart the whole time, man, He still let him be. Why did He let Judas in like that? But someone said, "Well, if you knowed He was a thief, why in the world did you give him the treasure? Why did you let him take up the offerings if you know He was stealing?" Jesus never set Him up to fail; He set Him up to overcome. The same way He lets you promotes you even with the things in your life. Because it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Not the scare tactic of hanging you over over hell on silly strings saying, I'm fixing to drop you in there if you don't change your life. It's the goodness of God. When did the times we see Peter repenting? Number one, when he brought in the great number of fish, that's when Peter hit the deck and repeated and said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Not because he told him anything his life was wrong, but when he bestowed his tenderness and goodness on Peter in that moment, he realized, my God, man, I'm a wretched man standing in the sight of all of this overwhelming goodness just, just overshadowed me. All right. John 17, he's he's letting us peer into his heart right here. Father, I have manifested who you really are. And I've revealed you to the men and women that you gave to me. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have fastened your word firmly to their hearts. And now at last, they know that everything I have is a gift from you. And the very words you gave me to speak, I have passed on to them. They received your words and carry them in their hearts. They are convinced that I, have came, that I have come from your presence, and they have fully believed that you sent me to represent you. So with deep love, look at this. I'm praying for them. They're nowhere to be found. He's by himself to the Father. He's reporting back to his Father the group of men that he chose that he poured his life into. Look at this. What is he saying about them? I've watched them transform. Oh, they, were, they were a bunch of doubters but now they know for a fact they believe in you and they believe in me because they know you've sent me. Now he's about to pray for them. Look at how Brian Simmons is translated with deep love I pray for them. I'm not asking on behalf of the unbelieving world but for those who belong to you those who you've given me for all who belong to me now belong to you. And all who belong to you now belong to me as well. And my glory is revealed through their surrendered lives. My God. Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return and be with you. But these men, they're going to remain. They're not going where I'm going. They're they're, They're going to remain right here. So I ask by the power of your name, protect each one of them that you've given me. Look at, the, look at this. Here he is fixing to, do, he's fixing to impart before he departs. And he's asking his father about these men that he had planted his life into. Protect each one of them that you've given me. And watch over them so that they will be united as one, even as we are one. While I was with these that you have given me, I have kept them safe by your name that you have given me. Not one of them is lost, except for the one that was destined to be lost so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas here. <laughs> but I am returning to you, so Father, I pray they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you so that it is fulfilled in them and overflowed. I have given them your message, and that is why the unbelieving world hates them. For their allegiance is no longer to this world because it is not of this world. I am not asking that you remove them from the world, but I ask that you guard the hearts from evil. For they no longer belong to His world any more than I do. Belong to this world any more than I do. Your word is truth, so make them holy by the truth. I have commissioned them to represent me. Just as you have commissioned me to represent you. And now I dedicate myself to them. Look at this. I dedicate myself to them. This is what I believe the Lord has been showing me for years about the apostolic because I thought that the apostolic was this great guy that sat on the pinnacle of the mountain until I begin to get the Passion Translation and read 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where he talks about the apostolic ministry and he says, I perceive we are the ones at the back of the processional. This is why we've not furthered the church. Does anybody get what I'm talking about this morning? Or maybe I'll just go down and holler at the woods and the squirrels. They tend to they tend to run from it though, I don't know why. You <laughs> with me? He's committing his life. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter two. I'm almost done. Look at at this. Here's another man that is implanting his life. That's unsaddled the horse and realized I've got to get into something. 2 Timothy chapter chapter 1. Timothy, my dear son, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace, which is your true strength, found in the anointing of Jesus in your union with him. Church, where's your strength found? In your union with him. My God. And all that you've learned from me, confirmed by the integrity of my life, deposit into faithful leaders who are competent to teach the congregation the same revelation. Look at what he's saying. I'm pioneering. What I'm pioneering in my life is I'm gonna find a group of people to deposit my life in. And what's gonna happen when I deposit my life in them into them, they're gonna turn to deposit what they've learned from me and in them into someone else. This is how culture is going to be established, y'all. Lord, I like we got cattle in the new gate. That's okay though. You will never establish culture by holding a prayer meeting here three days a week. I don't care if you want to fast and pray. I don't care how long you want to do it. You can bring Lou Engle in this place right here for the next three months, for the next five years, and nothing will change outside the walls of this building. Nothing. Nothing. Not one thing will change. If it had, where is the fruit? I'm, I'm, I'm sticking my limb out here, and people are going to see me. But where is the fruit of all of the money and the time and the resources that went into the call? What we have now is sons who's willing to run. This is the focus the whole time. It is people, not the stuff. Let's look one more time, and I'll be done. Me and my oldest son, because he's getting older, to have conversations. I don't never tell him, although he's seen some things. He's seen God do some amazing things. But when it's me and him, I don't tell him the accolades. I tell him the failures. Because why would I want him to know how really broken and a failure sometimes I've been because if God can use me in the failures that gives him hope that God can use him. Now let's look at this. Paul, Paul is is preaching. He's he's picking up this model of Jesus here in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equally important. And on the same team, but each will be rewarded for his own work. We are co workers with God, and you are God's cultivated garden, the house he is building. Who is God building? Is he building a larger edifice? Come on, church, who's he building? Again, I'm not against those things. If we run 5,000 on a regular basis, we got to do something to house them. I'm not dumb to that. But who is God's building? you you what I always tell you when we're by ourselves God loves you but he loves his people and he don't mind taking you out to save his people because never make the mistake he's building you you are what he's building you are God's garden that's it now Paul's saying there's a few of us that's been entrusted We've been privileged. Look at the way he writes it. We've been privileged to be handed God's garden to help plant water. Now he's talking about this. Look what he's saying. God has given me, look at this. God has given me unique gifts as a skilled master builder, lays a good foundation. Afterward, another craftsman comes and builds on it. So, builders, beware. Let every builder do his work carefully according to God's standard. For no one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. Let's close with this. I'm not done, but I, 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 I know I've preached a long time. Paul talks about his gift as a master builder. It's where we get the Greek word architect. In today's language, it would be like a general contractor. There's a difference between a contractor and a general contractor. Would you not agree with that? Cleveland just built a gorgeous house. Got us envious and we all jealous. I done asked Jake if I could move in with him. He said I could. So anyhow, listen to him. There was one guy that's actually done some work for me that worked on his house and he is a strong builder but he's no general contractor. He can hang some of the best crown molding you've ever seen but he's no general contractor. A general contractor has a unique gift to oversee the whole building site from the driveway being poured to the shingles on the top to the flange that goes in where the commode sits that is the general contractor and this is what Paul said that God had gifted him with the ability to be a general contractor those are the apostolic gifts you with me now God has also created the prophets with a keen sense of vision to read blueprints like nobody's business And this is why these two gifts are putting to the foundation of the church and the rest is built upon that and Jesus Christ himself being the head. Asher, you got 30 minutes of time out, I'm playing. (laughs) You feel good in your soul. I don't know if I've helped you or hurt you. But what I feel like the Lord is saying is this, that I want to love this city in a greater way than I've ever known. You with me? When three years ago, when we were, it's been three years since, well, however long ago we went to Blackshear to hear Jess preach the gospel, I asked Cleveland the vehicle, I said, where are you going to be buried? He looked at me and said, man, I don't know, I don't even thinking about that. He looked at me like I was morbid or something. You with me? But I think all of these are just lines upon lines, and I just feel like that God is trying to solidify, solidify some things in me as of what it looks like. You know what it looks like moving forward, what God is doing in your life. Church, you feel good? Here's the thing. John, I'm just going to pray over those that are watching online, and we're just going to close it out, and then I'm going to take up the offering, okay? So, Father, we just thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray you bless this people in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.